Well, good evening. How are we doing, Ace 12? Yes. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm gonna, you guys are going to have to help me out tonight, all right? Because the situation is, is that school let out last week. And Memorial Day was yet, amen. Who's with her on that? Who says amen, school's out? School let out last week. Yesterday was Memorial Day, so a lot of people go on vacation that week after because parents only have to take four days off. And so we know a lot of people out of town, but I want you to know, I believe God has something to say to you tonight through this message, and we go after it hard because we're more excited about the people that are here than worrying about the people that are not here. But I say that to say that I'm going to need you guys to help bring up the energy in the room tonight. Y'all with me on that? All right. Now, who in here likes a good story? Like a good story, right? Listen, I love stories. In fact, what I love about 12 Stone and working at 12 Stone is that all the time people are talking about stories and telling stories. In fact, if you were here just a couple weeks ago, you saw the video that Whitestone did and showed on the screen, which is the, the movie producing company that we have here at 12 Stone. I mean, this unbelievable story and stories capture our heart. And I love hearing stories. I love watching stories. And, and I love telling stories and I love hearing people tell stories, uh, telling stories of their weekend, telling stories about stuff that happened in their life. Anybody with me? Anybody like that kind of stuff? You introverts are like, not me. <laughs> and uh, But I love it. In fact, this weekend, I was with my family up in North Carolina for Memorial Day weekend. And we were hanging out at the lake um, and, uh, and, and just enjoying some time together as a family. And my brother and I are really close. Uh, we are 18 months apart in age, and so we grew up together really close. And, uh, and my brother was there with his girlfriend. And one night, they began to t- he began to tell this story. And this is how the story goes. Just kind of a little family story. And, uh, and, and he, he said that, that he was wanting to do something special for his girlfriend's birthday. So he decided that one of the things he was going to do as a part of this special evening for her birthday is that he was going to get all of these balloons, as many balloons as he could, and he was going to put them all over his house. So that when he brought her over to his house, it would have balloons everywhere and he would have all this like romantic stuff everywhere and have her this really nice dinner and all this kind of stuff. So he's like, I don't know where to get balloons. So I start researching and I find out you can go to Party City to get balloons. Now you just got to picture my brother. My brother is this big jack guy. He's bigger than I am. And he is like, you know, just like this meathead guy who has, who has never bought a balloon in his life. All right, let's just be serious. And uh, so he goes to Party City and he's like... Yeah, uh, I'll just get like a pack of those and a pack of those and a pack of those and a pack of those. Yeah, just blow those up. When will they be ready? And they were like, uh, well, I mean, this is a lot. Uh, probably be ready by like 4 o'clock tomorrow. And my brother's like, all right, done. They ring it up, and it was 60 bucks. My brother bought $60 worth of balloons. Now, the next day he comes. He didn't think anything of it. He's got an SUV, pulls up, goes inside, and he had over 100 balloons. All right, so he goes in. It takes three employees to help him get all of these balloons out of the building because, you know, they kind of float up, and you got to, like, duck them down to get them out the door. There's balloons everywhere. And so he gets to his car, and he's holding, like, 100 balloons, and he's looking at his car, and he's, like, looking at the balloons, and he says, how in the world am I going to fit these balloons in my car? So he goes over to the back of his SUV. He opens up the hatch. He starts stuffing balloons in the back, and he realizes he can't get any more balloons in. So he goes around to the side door. He opens up the side door. As he starts stuffing balloons in here, he forgot to close the hatch, and like 20 balloons go floating out the back. So he's still got handfuls of balloons, so he runs back to try to catch the ones that are flying. And as he does, the ones he just put in that door come out that door. 
This process continues for 10 minutes. He said people were just standing out there laughing, like videoing him. He's mad. He's going crazy. He's like freaking out. So I asked the question that everybody wants to know. How many balloons did she get? Now, without skipping a beat, she chimes in, I got six. I got six balloons. My brother's like, and you better be glad you got six. I paid $60 for six balloons. And she's like, you made this whole story up like you did something elaborate for me, but you really only bought me six balloons. And they're like jabbing each other, and we're like dying laughing, like just crying all over stuff. Like I love a good story. And I remember when I was a kid, I'd go over to my grandmother's house, and we would spend the night over at her house on the weekends, my brother and I. And my grandmother would read us stories. And oftentimes these stories would start with the phrase, once upon a time which is the name of the series that we're going to be in over this next couple of weeks. And I remember she would even tell us the story. She would tell us about this guy called the Sandman, and he would come and ring a bell, and, and he, would sprinkle, uh, he would sprinkle sleepy dust in your eyes, and you would go to sleep. And so we would be in there, and she would be reading the book to my brother and I. We thought the Sandman was for real. And see, we'd be in there reading the book, and my grandfather would be in the other room. And he would start ringing a bell real quietly. We'd be like, oh, my goodness, Grandma, the Sandman's coming, and he's going to. And she'd be like, you need to go to bed soon so that he can sprinkle that. And we're, like, over there, we're like, freaking out. We're like, we got to go to bed quick, you know. And so we would, like, go to bed. It was all a trick, people. She tricked us with the Sandman. And I'm going to use that trick, too. That's a good trick on little kids. And, uh, and I love those type of, I, I love, like, reading stories and, you know, Grandma, and reading my little girl stories. And some of my favorite stories are, are not just what I read, but it's also what I see. I love movies. Anybody love movies? Netflix, people in the house. In fact, there's something about the stories that happen in movies that kind of grabs your attention. It grabs at this emotion. It grabs at different things in you. In fact, I'm not a big, like, superhero-type movie guy. However, I went and saw the new Avengers here recently, and I was like... I was pretty impressed by that movie. That was a pretty good movie. And uh, I hadn't seen any of the other ones. That was the only one. I think I'm becoming a fan. And I actually found this little bitty, uh, little, I say little bitty. It's like a minute-long mashup of some of the Marvel stuff that they've done. Check out this video. Like, you felt that, right? That was pretty intense. Yeah, we got some Marvel fans up front and, uh, and in the back. Um, the stories have this, this power about them. They affect us. In fact, I believe this is the reason why Jesus told so many stories. Jesus was a master storyteller. He would find things around him, and he would use them to communicate truths to people, and those truths would just 
anchored deep into to the, to, to, to the hearer that was listening to the story. And we hear stories now when it does the same thing. I can remember stories in different times of my life and movies and things like that. And the truths are something that happened in there that still I can go right back to that very moment or that very thing that happened right now and remember those things that those stories bring together some of those truths. And Jesus did this and he would teach he would teach in these things called parables, which parables are stories that communicate the spiritual truth. And so Jesus would communicate these spiritual truths to these stories and these, and the, that he would tell. Now, the interesting thing about it is, is that when Jesus would teach, people were attracted to the way that he taught. And people are attracted to stories. We love hearing stories, and we're attracted to that. And people are attracted to Jesus and his stories. And the interesting thing about it is, is that there were two really uh, sort of fringe groups of people that, that came in, and then there was kind of everyone in between. The fringe groups of people were the outcasts. On the other end of the spectrum were the religious. See, the religious people during this day thought they were better than. They didn't smoke, drink, have sex, do anything wrong. They were religious. They kept to every letter of the law. And because of that, what they did is they looked down on all the other people as being lesser than. They saw them as outcasts. And the truth is, for some of the people that were outcasts, it was self-inflicted. They were wounded, maybe something in their past. They were unclean for some reason. Maybe they were a drunkard or a prostitute or or whatever. And we see Jesus engaging those types of people all the time. Now, I don't know about you, but I know about me. There's been times in my life when I have felt like I was a part of the less than group. I don't know if you've ever felt that way before, and it doesn't matter. I'm not talking about popularity. I'm not talking about any of that kind of stuff, although you can attribute it to that. But there have been things in my life that have happened. There have been seasons of my life. There have been times in my life where I just felt like I was less than. And I felt a little odd because I felt like there were other people that looked at me like I felt about myself. Anybody Can, can anybody relate to that? You ever had anybody look down on you before? Maybe it's not in your school, but maybe it's at home. Maybe it's with your dad. Maybe it's with with your mom. Maybe it's with a grandparent. Maybe it's with a, a myriad of people in your life that you feel like you are less than. And what was so amazing about Jesus is that even though the religious looked down on the outcast and the religious said you are less than and treated them less than and treated themselves as better than, Jesus came on the scene who was perfect in every way. If anybody had a right to point a finger and say, bro, you need to get your crap together, it was Jesus. And so if anybody could have given the worst persecution and could have made himself out to be the one that was better than, it would have been Jesus. Jesus, yet Jesus responds completely different. Jesus doesn't look at people like less thans and better thans. Jesus sees people in two ways. Those who have been found and have hope in life and those who are lost and need to be found so that they can have hope in life. That there is no such thing as status. There's no such thing as any of that. What there is a thing is, is value. And that Jesus values and teaches us that we are to value all people because all people have this intrinsic value to God. That it transcends anything that we could ever think or imagine. That this value, the way that God looks at us is so 
unbelievable, so mind-blowing that if you can wrap your mind around it, you would realize that you are worth more than you could ever even think or imagine. And Jesus is talking to this group of people that includes some of the outcasts and some of the religious and everyone in between. And he has this conversation about a shepherd and his sheep. Now, this is a powerful conversation he's about to have. And I want you to lock in. Because we're going to have some laughs in this. And I'm going to throw some more stuff up on the screen. We're also going to have some serious moments in this. Because I want to bring some things in perspective. And I want you to track along with me. Because I believe this is a powerful truth that Jesus is trying to teach us in this story. And each week, over these next four weeks, we're going to hit one of these stories. And we're going to talk about some of the truths that Jesus is trying to draw out for us when he shares this. This is straight from Jesus' mouth. And so if you got your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 10. It is on page 1075 or 1075. Uh, your Bibles are in your chair if you need one. Uh, if In your worship center Bibles or you can turn your own Bible. It's going to be on a different page though if you turn your own Bible. And, uh, and I want to read to you some scripture. And I want to explain this to you. He starts out in verse 10. John 10 verse 10. And he says this. He says, John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I come that you may have life and have it to the full. Now, here's, here's the picture. I want to paint the scene for you. Jesus is saying here, listen, there is an enemy out there, a one that is a thief that is coming to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, that I desire for you to have this full life, and I am bringing that to the table. Now, I'm going to back up here a couple verses, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you. In verses 7 through 10, why that thief thing is important, Jesus is telling the people, listen, I am the gate. I am the gate. And there's a gate into this pen where if you walk into it, it is safe. But outside of this pen, it is dangerous. Because as a sheep, if you're not inside of the pen and you're outside of the gate, then anything can come and attack you. And so what he's saying here is that I am the gate. In other words, and he goes on to say, for I am the way that you can be saved. But he says there are thieves out there. There are those who do the work of Satan, those that are trying to give you a false message, those that are trying to tell you things that are distracting you from the way to get into the gate. They're throwing shiny things in front of you so that your attention will be taken off of me and so that you will not walk into the gate, but you'll actually deter from the gate and walk the wrong way and find yourself in a trap. The allure of those things are a big deal. Jesus is talking about this. Because sheep are curious creatures. It's easy for them to get distracted. That's why they had a shepherd that had to steer them where they would go. And the shepherd would take them to the fields where they would eat. And it would take them to the water where they would drink. And if you were to take sheep into a field and leave them in the field and not direct them to the next field, they would eat all the grass in that field and they would starve to death in that field without moving on to the next field because they needed a shepherd to direct them. Every person listening would know this. They would know someone who was a shepherd. They would travel from one community to another community and see the shepherds in the fields. This was common language, and Jesus is using this to drive home an important point to them. And he says, be careful. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And notice what he says in verse 11. He says, but I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. 
And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. It's important to establish right off the bat that Jesus is the good shepherd. In other words, Jesus desires good things for his sheep. In this metaphor that he's using, you are the sheep. Sometimes we can think about Jesus, we can think about God, we can have some experience in our life, and we can say, God, why would you let that happen? God, you can't love me. God, I can't see your goodness. And Jesus is reminding them, listen, I am the good shepherd. Nobody wants better for you than I do. Nobody. I'm a good shepherd, and I love my sheep. Listen, I love my sheep so much that I am willing to lay my life down for them. And actually, that is exactly what Jesus did. Remember, Jesus is talking here before he was crucified. So he's literally foreshadowing what he is going to do. He's saying to them, listen, there are sheep out there. Some have been found and some are lost. But I'm here to tell you that I'm willing to lay down my life for my sheep. No matter what happens, no matter what happens, I'm willing to lay down my life so that sheep can make it and survive. So that they can come into a relationship with me. So that you can come into a relationship with him. It's a pretty powerful picture, and it shows us the character of God and the character of who Jesus is. No matter if you consider yourself a less than or better than, Jesus considers you a part of his flock, and he deeply cares about you. And then I want to hone in on this scripture right here. Notice what he says. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. The hired hand, or think of it like this, the hourly wage worker, is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and it scatters, and the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He's showing the difference here between the shepherd and the hired hand. Let me set up the scenario for you. Let's say this. Where are my dudes at in here tonight? Raise your hand. Where you at? Where you at? All right, dudes, I'm going to give you a proposition, all right? Think about this just for a minute. I want to put you in the story. Let's say I'm a farmer, and I have sheep. And I come up to you tomorrow, and you're hanging out, just chilling. And I come over to you, and I say, hey, man, listen. I live about five minutes down the road. I've got 30 sheep. Man, I, could you go and watch them today for me from 2 to 7 p.m.? Now, you're probably going to be like, bro, listen, man, like that sounds fun and all, but I just got out of school. Like, I'm going to the pool, man. I'm just chilling. Like, you can forget that. I don't care about going and watching after your shit. All right, I'll make it worth your while. I will give you $500 cash money to go watch my 30 sheep from 2 p.m. to 7 p.m. tomorrow. Who would take me up on that deal? Dang right, that's $100 an hour. Right, Anson? Got the girls going, I'll freaking watch your sheep. Like, I don't care. Like, give me a shepherd rod. You know what I'm saying? Right? Like, like that, that's a no-brainer. Now, now, let me tell you something. If you paid me $500 to watch sheep for five hours, I'd be like, sign me up. But if I'm sitting there watching these 30 sheep, and about 6 p.m. rolls around, and over the horizon comes a pack of hungry wolves, and they are running towards the sheep to attack the sheep, I'm telling you right now, deuces. You know what I'm saying? Like, I am not getting in between the sheep and the wolves. Anybody with me? Right? Okay, listen, listen. I want you to catch this. I want you to catch this. In this day, a shepherd would. When you go back and you look at the Old Testament, you see young David. Before he kills Goliath, he's talking to Saul. 
This is before he's famous. He's young. He's, he's a young teenager. And he says, well, when I was a shepherd, the lion came and I killed it with my bare hands. And when the bear came, the, I killed it with my bare hands. I mean, here's David saying, bro, I killed a bear and a lion. Let me tell you something. The bear comes, the lion comes, I'm out. David is the shepherd. Listen, here's why. Because it's not just losing a paycheck like it would be for you. It is losing your livelihood. It is losing your life. It is losing the thing that is most valuable to you. That it would literally drive you to a place of poverty to where you wouldn't be able to feed your family and you would die of starvation. That you would rather get tore apart by wolves or tore apart by a lion than you would starve to death or your kids to starve to death. That is the picture. The shepherd would step in. See, the shepherd is an owner. He's not a hireling. This is, this is a, a major contrast than what he's given here. In fact, a, a modern-day picture I can think of is the whole idea of a captain. who A captain who's been on a boat for many years, and, and he would go down with his ship. He would fight to save the ship, even if the ship was doomed. That all the mates on the ship would get in the life rafts and float away, but the captain would go down with the ship. In fact, if you look back at history, we see this played out over and over again. In fact, the most famous ship that ever sank was the what? The Titanic. What we know about that ship is that the captain went down with his ship. In fact, there's a scene of it in the movie Titanic. I'm going to show you the scene. It's just 12 seconds. Check it out. Okay, that'll depress you. And, uh... Right? The captain went down with the ship. In fact, earlier in the movie, you see him up on the deck, and he could have easily gotten a life raft. He was the captain. He could do what he wanted. But he walks back in to where the, the steering wheel of the boat was, and he's waiting for it to go down. But the captain goes down with the ship. He's an owner. It's his life. Captain Smith went down with the ship. There's a difference that exists here. And people that, was talk, that were there listening to Jesus knew what he was talking about. He was talking about the fact that there were people that were meant to work to protect the sheep. But when danger would come, they would just bail out. They weren't an owner. They were just a hired hand. When trouble came, they took off. And Jesus was an owner. Jesus was an owner. He got a vision from God the Father. He was here on a mission. Did things get tough for him? Yes, they did. And then he gets arrested and he gets beat. And he gets taken to be crucified and he doesn't complain. At any time, he could have called a legion of angels down to stop this nonsense. But he was an owner and he knew what the mission was. And when he breathed his last breath, the only thing that was afraid was death. Death was shaking in its boots. Because it knew that if what he said was true, then three days later, death would be swallowed up in victory. That death would no longer reign, but now life would reign. Not just eternal life for the future, but life here on this earth. And that's exactly what happened three days. Death was defeated. Sin was defeated. Satan was defeated. And Jesus reigns. Life reigns. Why do I have this conversation? I have this conversation with you because I would say this. When I am asked this question often, I was asked this question when I 
was interviewed here. I get asked this question often. If there's one thing that you could see as a part of the mission of what you feel like God's called you to, what would it be? It would be this. To help high school students take ownership of their faith. To not be a, a hireling that when things get tough or when the fun starts to fade, you dip out. But that you take ownership of your faith. See, there comes a time in your life where no longer can it be borrowed from your church's faith. And it can be borrowed from your parents' faith. And it can be borrowed from your small group leader's faith. And it can be borrowed from your youth pastor's faith. At some point in your life, you have to take ownership and responsibility for your faith. Because at the end of the day, you are going to stand before God. And there is nobody else that is going to be there with you except you, yourself, and I. That's it. And I want to challenge you to take ownership of your faith. This is the time of your life where you do that. That you make decisions and say, I'm going to be an owner. And you know what the truth is? Being an owner means that things are going to be, taught, going to be hard. And it means that there's going to be battles ahead of me. There's going to be lions and bears and wolves. It means there's going to be trials in front of me. But I'm going to stare it right in the face because I know that God has a purpose, a plan, a mission, and a vision for my life. And I'm going to chase that. And I'm going to pursue it. And nothing is going to be able to stand in the way of what God is calling me to without me going down swinging. That's being an owner. That's being an owner. See, when you're an owner, you are untouchable. You are untouchable. I would do this if 12 Stone said, you know what, bro, listen, man, we like it. You're just not cutting it. And they let me go. I would do it somewhere else. I would find a way. Because I, I've been called to it. I've been given a mission. And God has given me a vision. And I know what some of you are saying. You say, well, I don't know what my mission is. I don't know what my vision I don't know what God is telling me to do. Listen, until you surrender to God and you have ownership of your faith, God can't reveal it to you. That a prerequisite to God giving you what he wants to give you, the purpose and plan and agenda and mission he wants to set you on, and that part of that path, he cannot give that to you until you take ownership. Now, some of it he's already spelled out in Scripture, and some of it he gives us on our own in our own personal time with him. But you have to be an owner. You have to become an owner. This is a big deal. Then he goes on. He says this, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as my Father knows me, and I the Father, I lay down my life for my sheep. How well do you think God the Son knows God the Father? They're both omniscient. They're all knowing, so they know each other perfectly. And he says, I know you, and you should know me the way that my Father and I know each other. In fact, this word know in the Greek means to understand fully or to learn about. It also has marital overtones to it, like a husband knows his wife or like a wife knows his husband. How cool is it to think that God himself knows you, and he knows everything about you? He knows your insecurities. He knows your shortcomings. He knows your struggles and your sins. Yet God still chooses to love you, pursue you, run after you with all that he has and all that he is. Which if you're taking notes tonight, that's the bottom line. The bottom line tonight is that God never stops running after you. That he pursues you no matter what. And then I want you to listen to this. 
because here's a part of the mission that he gives us once we become owners. He says this, I have other sheep that are not in the sheep pen. I have other sheep that are not in the sheep pen. In other words, there's other sheep that are out there. It's what I told you earlier. There are those that have been found and have hope in life, and there's those that are lost that don't have hope in life, and his desire is to bring them into his fold so that they can have hope in life, so that they can be safe. This is what every person listening would have understood. A lost sheep is a dead sheep. A lost sheep is a dead sheep. It cannot protect itself. What is scary about a sheep? Nothing. Right? A lost sheep is a dead sheep. It can't defend itself. It can't find its way. A lost sheep is a dead sheep. And God is so telling us here in this passage, I have other sheep that are not in my pen, he's te- and I must bring them also. He's telling us, listen, there's those that are out there that are lost, and they don't know me. <laughs> they don't know the shepherd. They don't know what I have for them. And I'm pursuing them. I'm looking for them. I'm searching for them. I am chasing them down. I'm helping them find the way. And I'm giving you that mission as well. So this weekend, we're hanging out up in my family's house. And um, my little girl, Abby, uh, she's cute as a button, by the way. In fact, I think I got a picture of her in her bathing suit. And uh, yes, she's a little diva. And uh, and, uh, and she's beautiful. And so um, just, just, just uh, hold off on that next picture for a minute. And so we're hanging out at the lake, having a good time uh, all weekend long. And she's jumping in the water. And, you know, and, and, and she, I got videos. I'm going to post some of them. So if you follow me, I'm going to post them. And I'd be down in the water. And she would, like, jump off the pier. And I'd catch her and dip her in the water. And then she would go, again, again. And so I'd put her on the pier. And she'd do it again. I mean, dude, just, like, melts my heart. Like, I cannot. And I tell you that because, you know, people are like, oh, God, here goes the pastor talking about his kids again. You know what I'm saying? Here's the deal, though. I can't help it. Like, I love my little girl so much. Like, she's my daughter. Like, the way that I feel about her just is indescribable. Like, I can talk to you about it, but you'll never understand it until you have your own kid because I never understood until I had my own kid. But one day, hopefully, many of you will understand it. I mean, it is a powerful, powerful bond, which is a a crazy picture that exists between showing that God is a father in this relationship that exists between us or that God being the shepherd and us as a sheep, this relationship that is deeper than many of us really understand. Now, I'll show the second picture. This is Abby and I feeding the ducks. Now, this is a significant picture, and I'm going to tell you why. Right after this picture was taken, I looked at my dad who was uh, standing over here on the shore, and I was having a conversation with him, asking him a question, he answered my question. And in the time that I looked at my dad, it was three to four seconds max. Abby, who runs like a 4440, all right? <laughs> she runs like a freaking deer, and uh, she takes off running down the pier. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. She can fly. She's fast, but she's, she's small, and she's got little feet, and so I couldn't hear her running away. I literally turned my head for like three seconds, and she's running down the fear. Now, now she, she didn't get super far, but she got, you know, probably from here to the back door back there from me as I turned around and had this conversation with my dad, just answered a question for him. And when I turn back around, I see her running down the pier. Now, I know the drill. She knows that when she gets to the end of the pier, she jumps off and jumps in the water, and the water's over her head, and she's two years old, and she can't swim. So what do you think I do? That's right. I'm freaking out. To be honest with you, 
I'm like, Abby. She looks like, <laughs> and she keeps running. You know what I'm saying? She thinks this is a game, like chasing game. No, this is not a game, child. You're about to die. And, uh, and I'm like, not my kid. And I'm running. I'm sprinting. I'm running as fast as I can. And, you know, uh, you know, just before we get, you know, uh, get down a certain way, you know, I go and I scoop her up. And she's laughing and all this kind of stuff. Because here's the deal. She can't see the danger. She has no idea of the danger that awaits her if she was to fall into the water. But I do. How many people? Do you go to school with every single week? Well, when you're in school. They have no clue the danger that awaits them. They have no clue that Jesus is saying, listen, I am the way. If you keep going that way, like that's the way to hell. And I don't desire that for you. The Bible says God wishes that none perish and all come to repentance. God did not create hell for us. The Bible tells us that it was created for Satan and his demons. But when we choose to go our own way, we choose it. And people don't even understand the danger that they're running in and the sin that they're running in the consequences of it. And God is chasing them and pursuing them like sheep who are wandering astray, who are leading to their own destruction, and they don't even realize it. And we have the answer to point people to the shepherd, and we have a responsibility as a result of that to do that, to chase them. See, this is something that you got to realize. God values human life above anything else. Your life, my life, and every person's life. That has been lost in our culture. It's been lost. Human life in our culture has been put on a different level. Now, we may not think about it that way, but I'm going to tell you and I'm going to show you how that is true. There's something that's been pretty prevalent in the media. I'm going to show you a picture. Put that picture up on the screen. How many of y'all have seen that picture? This is a, if you don't know this picture, let me, let me explain it to you. Let me describe it. This picture is a viral picture that went viral yesterday in the last 24 hours to 48 hours. This situation went down, and it has been a media, social media phenomenon. It's on the feeds everywhere. Here's the story. The story is, is that at the Cincinnati Zoo, a child fell into or climbed into the gorilla enclosure. This gorilla is a highly endangered species. There's very few of them left on the planet. To save the kid, they had to shoot and kill the gorilla. Now listen, listen, here's the deal. I've been watching social media. All of the things that are being said are attacking the mother. In fact, all the things that I kept seeing on the feed, all the things I kept seeing on the feed over and over and over again was, I saw this ten times at least. Maybe if that kid had died, that mom would have learned her lesson. Really? Really? That gorilla's life is worth more than that child? Says no one who has a child. Because I'm here to tell you right now. You can turn away for three seconds. And it's over. Three seconds. That's it. My question is, my, my, my little toddler that's that big, 
can't open up an Advil bottle. How in the world should she climb into a freaking gorilla enclosure? It's the mom's fault. And this mom's getting hammered all over the place. Why do you watch your kids? You're responsible for this gorilla's death. You should be sued. You should be arrested. You should go to prison. Really? What if you fell in that enclosure? I'm here to tell you right now, if that was the last gorilla on the face of this earth, and one of you fell in that closure, enclosure, and I had a gun in my hand, sayonara gorilla. Because your life is way more valuable than a freaking gorilla. Now, this is a tragic situation. It's terrible. It's horrifying. I feel terrible about the gorilla. I feel terrible about what's happened in this whole situation. But this brings up a lot of emotion. And the reason it brings up emotion is because people don't understand that people matter more than anything else. Not only should people matter more than anything else to us, but people matter more than anything else to God. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. God creates man as the chief of his creation. He puts man in authority over all creation. He gives us uh, he gives us dominion and Adam literally names all of the animals that have ever been placed on the face of the earth. God gives man a soul. When Jesus came and he died on the cross, he did not die for apes. He died for mankind. He died for you and he died for me. We have soul and spirit They do not. And so this is a significant piece for you to get, that we have to value human life. We have to value it. Which, by the way, and this isn't in my notes, human life begins at conception. Read Psalm 139. God knew us and formed us in our mother's womb. The baby, in Luke chapter 2, leapt for joy while it was in the mother's womb. This is a big deal. This pro-life, pro-choice stuff that's going on. Listen, listen, listen. This is not a deal for God. God is pro-life. He values life. Life above everything. This isn't a political agenda thing. This isn't political at all. This is a biblical thing. I don't care who you vote for. It's not a political thing. It's a biblical thing. God values life. Life is so important. And so much so that God never stops running after us. God pursues us. He chases after us. He realizes that if he doesn't step in and do something, if we don't step in and do something, if we don't open our mouths, there's people who will never be able to make it into the sheep pen, into the family of God. He's provided a way for rescue. And it's a big deal. So what do we do with this? I'm going to wrap this up. What do we do with this? The first thing is this, is that maybe some of you are here and you feel like you are the less than. That's how you kind of feel. You feel like you're the less than. And maybe you feel like people look down on you and, and maybe they feel like they're the better than and you feel like you're the less than. And, and maybe this message for you is this, is that for you to understand that God is the good shepherd, that he loves you, that he knows you, and not just in a surface-level way like knowing your name, but he knows everything about you. He understands you. He understands what you're going through better than anybody else. Students call me all the time. My world's falling apart. I can't believe this has happened to me. My life's over. This person did this. This person did this. And I always ask one of my first questions, have you talked to God about it yet? 
well, I mean, I prayed, but like I need to talk to somebody. Listen, if you think I can help you with a problem that God can't help you with, you're in trouble. Because God knows you and understands your situation far better than I could ever understand your situation. And God has the ability to solve and bring healing and forgiveness and love in a situation that I could never do for you. The first person you could run, should run to is the person of Jesus. The first person. The second thing is this. If you're here tonight and you think God uh, doesn't, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. What I want to say about that point is if you're here and you feel like you feel lesser than, this is what I want you to do. I want you to change the way you see God. See that he values you. See him as the good shepherd. Secondly, if you're here tonight and you think God doesn't see you, notice you, or appreciate you, you need to repent of that. You need to turn from that. You need to change the way you think God sees you. You change the way you think God sees you. Jesus shows how much he loves us and how much he values us by dying for us on the cross. I've even heard it said this way. How much did Jesus love us? This much. This much. Are you? Or maybe you're here tonight. And truly, this is hard because in our ego and pride, it's hard for us to see this. Maybe we can go back to the beginning and relate a little bit to the religious people. Maybe we have a little bit of a chip on our shoulder. Maybe it's not about, like, us thinking that we're better than somebody because of our relationship with God. But maybe it's we just think we're better than people. Maybe we think we're better than people because uh, we're popular, because our reputation, or because of who we are, or our status, or the person that we're dating, or whatever. And you need to change how you see others. You need to change the way you see others. You need to change the way you see God. You need to change the way you think God sees you. And you need to change the way you see others. Band's going to come up. We're going to close out tonight. You know, this closing song that we do every single week, we actually call this in our planning center, when you know, which is what we set up our, our stuff on. We actually call this a response song. Every week at age 12, we want to make it about you doing business with God. Now, I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. Maybe you're here and you're discovering and you're seeking and you're trying to figure stuff out. And I'd say, hey, man, keep coming, keep seeking, keep discovering, keep asking questions. Press in. You don't have to agree. You don't have to agree with us to be with us. But keep discovering truth. The Bible tells us if you seek him, you'll find him if you seek him with all of your heart. But maybe you're here tonight and you know there's some business you need to go do with God. Maybe you need to repent you need to turn from some of that corrupt thinking that thinks that you have something wrong with you or that you're less than or that you're an outcast or there's no way God can love me or you wouldn't believe the stuff that I've done or what I've been involved in or, or whatever, whatever, whatever. It's all lies from the enemy. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal your joy. He wants to take you out. Jesus says, I come that you may have life and have it to the full. He's the good shepherd. So maybe a part of your response tonight is just thanking God for being the good shepherd. Thanking him for revealing that to you. And for some of you in this room, it is for you taking that step to say, you know what? I'm going to see people the way God sees people. I'm going to value them. I find it interesting. I find it interesting that all over social media is this frenzy of people so tore up over this gorilla. Yet I haven't seen on social media one time the family of seven who was used as shields by ISIS yesterday. Babies and kids, all seven killed, used as shields by ISIS. 
or the hundreds of people that are in the basement of a hospital held hostage in Fallujah right now. And barring a miracle from God, they will all die, men, women, and children. Where is the outcry for that? Why is that not all over our social media? Maybe for you it is changing the way you think, to value life, to understand how God sees it. Because let me tell you something. When you begin to see, have a high value for God, it begins to change the way you think about others and you begin to have a higher value for others. And when you have a higher value for others, you begin to have a higher value for the way that God sees others and sees them as being lost and seeing them as sheep without a shepherd. And then that helps you get past your fear of opening your mouth and telling them about Jesus because you know how valuable they are and how heartbroken you would be if they got in a car accident and died and did not know the name of Jesus. Because I'm here to tell you I've done many young people's funerals and I have done young people's funerals who didn't know Jesus and I will never stand on a stage and say to any family or to anybody your son or daughter is in a better place if they didn't know Jesus because they're not. And that's a hard reality. But this is what Jesus is saying to us. Listen people, be an owner of your faith and do something about it. Yeah, trial's going to come, persecution's going to come, trouble's going to come, but who cares? Stare right dead in the eye and go down swinging if you're going to go down. 